Great question. The Manufacturing Podcast offers news and information for the people who make, store, and move things, and those who manage and maintain the facilities where that work gets done. Please enjoy this live stream recorded on February 22nd. Due to a producer's error, some of the original audio was garbled at the beginning of that presentation, so I'm going to go ahead and read that. Uh, Welcome to Production Pulse, Industry Week's bi-weekly live stream about important issues and topics facing the manufacturing world. Our host today is Jennifer Ramsey, editor-at-large of Industry Week's parent company, Endeavor Business Media. Jennifer contributes regularly to Industry Week to produce the Market Moves Manufacturing Newsletter, and today she will be discussing diversity, equity, and inclusion in manufacturing. In recent months, DEI critics have become more vocal in their opposition to the movement, with several companies removing diversity statements from their websites. However, we're also in the middle of one of the biggest labor shortages in generations, and many DE advocates are pointing to underserved, diverse communities for their untapped potential to fill those worker shortages. Joining me today to discuss DEI and the value of reaching out to underserved communities are Erica Staley, Executive Director of Manufacturing Renaissance in Chicago, an organization that promotes career track manufacturing jobs to young people in low-income communities. We also have Beth Dawson, Director of the Apprenticeship Program at Manufacturing Works Cleveland, where she connects to man- where she connects manufacturers with Cleveland Public Schools students seeking career opportunities. Jordan Hooser, a recent graduate of Cleveland's Max S. Hayes High School, who's working as a fourth year apprentice at WLS Stamping and Fabricating Co. And finally, Ryan Joseph, an an industrial recruiter and regular contributor to Security InfoWatch. Ryan has written several articles about some of the challenges faced in DEI hiring. Thank you all for joining us today and sharing your expertise. Let's start today with Jordan. Tell us about how you got interested in manufacturing and how you plan to make a career in the industry. Yeah, so I graduated Max Hayes back in 2016 as a valedictorian. From there, I took my studies to Cleveland State University to study chemical engineering. After two years into my bachelor's degree, I I found out I needed something more. There was something in me that needed just more out of life. So after that, I enlisted in the Marine Corps, where I currently still serve today. And then once I got off active duty, I just want, you know, in the Marine Corps, I was a welder, 1360 metal worker. So I was always into manufacturing, even back at Mac, you know, Max Hayes was a trade school. I did building instruction. I always like to work with my hands. I always like to build something. I always wanted to fabricate something. So after my time in active duty, I decided I wanted to pursue some kind of machining and machine work. And that's where I started working at um, WLS. And after a six month period of showing them, you know, what I had to offer, they offered me to start an apprenticeship for tool and die and machining here. And you mentioned that uh, you worked obviously in sort of manufacturing adjacent things at Max Hayes High School, but did you have any friends or families working in manufacturing beforehand? Um, no, this is just like a opportunity and career that I wanted to pursue myself and then just have the options open up to me as I pursued this. And what did you learn at uh, Max Hayes that you hope to apply when you graduate? 
The, the first one was I learned um, that I love to work with my hands. That I wanted to be in a shop or in a facility where I'm actually producing something and not necessarily in an office or someone in the background. Like I wanted to be hands-on and when something gets put out, I wanted to physically touch it and work with it before it got sent out. And Erica, moving over to you, uh, with labor shortages growing in many parts of the country, are you hearing more interest from manufacturers in your services? Definitely. I mean, we have been at this actually for the, with the career pathways programming really for the last 15, uh, 16 years. And we've been aware of this as an issue much longer than that, where we saw that companies because of the advances in technology robotics now sort of talk about as sort of industry 4.0 um and concurrently the sort of decline of training programs vocational programs in high schools um that there was a huge need that we were what we were finding before we got involved in the project we did research that saw that a lot of companies were were unfilled for weeks and months, you know, high paying jobs, um, high, high quality jobs. And so that's where, and, and especially in a place like Chicago, where the need for jobs is so acute, especially in certain neighborhoods like the West and South side of Chicago, we, we ourselves weren't necessarily in education or even workforce development at the time, but we made the case to city leadership, uh, to Chicago public school leadership that, hey, there is a, a real opportunity here to get more uh, employers involved at the high school level, if we can create programming of a particular quality that, you know, really reintroduces or introduces young people to these great career paths that do not require a four-year degree to access. So, so yeah, so this is something we've been sort of chipping away at for a couple decades now, and there's still so much more to be done. There's still an estimated over 58,000 jobs going unfilled in the Chicagoland area in the manufacturing sector alone. So they're the, the need is huge. And the same question for you, Beth, are you seeing more opportunities for well-paying jobs for young people? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I started in this role with Manufacturing Works in 2020, um, in April of 2020. So um, COVID was, you know, on the scene and manufacturers were really um, struggling to find talent, right? And and so I, in my role, I'm the director of apprenticeship programs. And when I started the, the job, I had, so my organization is a group sponsor of apprenticeships. So um, when I started, we had 14 companies in our apprenticeship consortium. And I think we had 11 apprentices. We now have 45 companies in our apprenticeship program with um, 50 two apprentices and growing. Um, and so uh, I think the, the apprenticeship pathway is a great opportunity, both for um, apprentices like Jordan, um, whose company is paying uh, his, for his education. Um, it's, it also helps the company build their own talent pipeline. And it's really important because as, as far as skilled talent, you're either going to build it borrow it or buy it. And from our perspective, we think that the apprenticeship pathway is a great workforce um, strategy to ensure that you have a the workforce that you need. 
And then what can we as an industry sort of do to help young people in these underserved communities uh, find the options that are available to them? Well, that's a great question. So um, as Jordan alluded, he he went to Max Hayes High School in Cleveland. It is the, the trade school within the city of Cleveland. Um, and we've had a presence at Max Hayes for over 20 years. Um, so uh, the students at Max Hayes get exposed to different trades. Um, the they, they have job shadowing opportunities, uh, plant tours, and then as they, they get older, they have work-based learning opportunities. Um, so I think manufacturers can um, first and foremost be open to having these young people on the shop floor. Um, here in Ohio, there's Ohio revised code that students that are in a CTE program are waived from the kind of, you know, any companies that are not allowed to hire um, people under 18, the Ohio revised code um, changes that. I'm not sure that it's that way across the country, but um, being open to having the students and not just being open to it, but really encouraging it. And when you have the opportunity to have young people in your plant, um, show them that you have a culture that is welcoming them. Um, I think that it, it particularly in underserved communities, um, you also want to show that you are open and, and prepared to welcome a diverse uh, workforce. And then um, when, when the students start in, in a work-based learning program, it's critical that they have a good experience because if they don't, they're not gonna stick around in manufacturing. And then uh, this question also applies to you, Erica. Do you have anything to add? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think there's so many ways. Um, first and foremost, exposure is 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 critical, uh, and there are so many ways in which employers, manufacturers can get involved, and and just even planting the seed even before we get to the point of training or high school programs. So I think you know how. Uh, companies can participate in a variety of community events. I think so much of the work we do uh, is going to where uh, our young people are, you know, so sometimes that work needs to start in, in, in the elementary schools and middle schools, you know, community centers, you know, how do we educate not just the young people, but the, uh, the teachers, the high school counselors, the high school administrators, there are a lot of folks who are responsible for education and training programs that know very little about manufacturing. So, um, and we recognize that, so career exposure, obviously the work experience is, is critical. And then also too, we also see from Manufacturing Renaissance point of view that that we believe that you can really do much broader ed, uh, economic and community development with manufacturing as sort of a driving force. So there are ways that we can be talking about, you know, broader, you know, education and training uh, infrastructure could that really link you know, yeah, K through community colleges that really center making things in our community and how do we kind of um, highlight the things that are being made in our communities and the diversity of careers. It's not just production, but most companies, manufacturers are smaller privately held companies um, that might only employ 10 people or 50 people or 100 people. So there is so many opportunities from making things to managing things to designing things, selling things that are all intersect with manufacturing. Even owning the company is part of it. So how can manufacturers kind of open up the, the 
you know, it, the awareness of those diversity of career paths is another critical element. Okay. And then uh, we also have a question uh, from a LinkedIn user. And they asked, how do manufacturers find out about these opportunities to engage with the young people, especially in high school? Is the school contacting them directly or vice versa? I can take that. Um, I think that, yes, you could contact the school directly. I know that um, my organization has a, a person that is designated to work with our youth programs. and. We're always looking for companies that will take on our students and give them a good work-based learning opportunity. Uh, we want to have a variety of manufacturing um, to, to expose the young people to different types of manufacturing environments so that they can get a well-rounded understanding of what the different career pathway opportunities are. So um, I think if you've got a an organization like Manufacturing Works that's kind of an intermediary, a, an economic development organization. Um, you can contact somebody like like our, our organization or go right to the schools directly. Participate in their career fairs and, um, and to Erica's point, just be present in the community. Yeah, agreed. Like, I think there are um... I, I agree. I mean, highlighting the intermediary or there are a lot of organizations now, especially now more than there have been in the last 20 years. So the most likely there is already an entity that is organizing these kinds of career exposure or career training activities that you can link up with. Um, and, and yeah, reaching out directly to the schools or the school districts. Um, I think the idea of career pathways is really taken on. So there are a lot more schools and education and training programs that are looking for manufacturing partners very actively. So, um, so I think just even a little bit of Googling, you could probably find something relatively close by of something going on. So I agree. I think another method that would be helpful is, I mean, we live in the world today where people you know, wake up in the morning and the first thing they do is check their iPhone, right? And so I think a lot of these younger candidates in particular, uh, you might benefit even from running campaigns to them directly on social media or a similar outreach type because they're huge users of those platforms. That's a great point. And then we have another question uh, regarding pay. Um, you know, with industry 4.0 coming up or already here in some cases, is there a pay disparity in the skills that are needed versus the pay you would get in manufacturing for the work? Yeah, and I think I can address that. Um, starting off with anything, you know, it's gonna be depending on like what experience you have, you know, at that moment, but it's also building a career. This isn't just a typical job we're talking about. This is something you're investing your time in and that investment is going to gradually pay off as you continue to the apprenticeship, as you become a journeyman, as you become a master in this craft, because it is a craft, it is an art, and then that pay will follow. You know, If you're good at what you do, you will be reimbursed because a company can't afford to lose you, especially with the lack of labors we're having right now and this lack, it's almost a dying trade. And you know, some of these manufacturing, manufacturing industries where a company really doesn't have a choice but to pay you your dividends in the craft that you are mastering. And then circling back to our original question uh, for Jordan, do you have any thoughts on your perspective for those opportunities? Like how do you 
do you how would you explain like sort of the manufacturing opportunities to those around you um like she said with social media and just the internet ever you know with everything being out like linkedin is a huge one and just going out there and trying to get the connections and seeing what's out there because the jobs are out there you know these companies are hiring it's just about kind of looking for what you want to do thanks uh so much for all of your thoughts so far and moving on we asked ryan to join us today because of a recent piece she wrote for security info watch about some of the challenges in addressing uh kind of a major issue in hiring a diverse workforce which is bias uh, technology companies have pitched AI as a tool to overcome sort of subtle human biases that we see in hiring practices, but also using AI has uncovered biases in these tools. Uh, so Ryan, could you tell us a little bit about the challenges faced by both human and algorithm biases in hiring? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's no secret that when we're hiring, it doesn't matter who you are or you know how diverse or non-diverse you are, you actually want to hire someone that you like, right? That's what we look for. We look for people that we get along with um, and people who we feel we would generally mesh very well with. And sometimes those can lead to biases, right? If it's you know, maybe a, a male-dominated company, maybe they just tend to lean towards hiring more male candidates. Um, you know, you see it with all different social classes, whether it's, you know, race, whether it's gender, etc. But um, ultimately, we as humans work really hard to say, hey, we, you know, we do have these initiatives for diversity and we do want to go outside of what we normally hire. So you'll tend to see that companies will put that initiative in place and they'll make a concerted effort. When you add AI to the mix, the issue can be that the AI can learn over time the same biases that you have in certain situations, depending on the type of AI. The other piece of that is that ultimately um, these tools are limited to the candidates that apply to these positions. The AI will you know, sort of go through those resumes. It'll review certain buzzwords or keywords. So if you get some resumes that are maybe lacking certain pieces, it might automatically exclude a candidate that you know, would have been a, a potential good fit. Sometimes in the recruiting world, it, it really takes that human element to think outside of the box and say, hey, we haven't found a candidate that does X, Y, Z. Where can we go find a candidate to, you know, Beth and Erica's point that, you know, maybe is uh, interested in this field or, you know, could be built from the ground up um, or maybe possesses some of the skills, but not all of them, um, you know, that could do the job. And I would just also add, like, I think when you're talking about bias, it's 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 also beyond just the initial hiring process. I mean, that I think we all need to be kind of a, more aware of what we've seen in our uh, experience is that because of a young person, black or brown, you know, young person going through our program and having by the time they graduate high school, they've had, you know, one or two work experiences. They have an industry recognized credential. You know, they, you know, they've tick all the boxes that, so that actually getting the job is actually the easiest part. But what we have found that uh, it's very easy for even a highly qualified uh, candidate to kind of get lost in the shuffle once they get hired and they don't necessarily have the level of, uh, you know, maybe on the job training support 
or you know somebody kind of looking out for them because you know for an 18 or 19 year old they're not necessarily going to know sort of the the hidden rules of the workplace you know the norms that may not be spelled out in a handbook or uh that you know it's just expected that this young person's just figure it out as they go and so we have found great young people candidates get really lost and you know washed out within the first few months just because there's not ongoing supports from inside the workplace that really helps them integrate into this new culture this maybe there's all, you know other ways that they can be enhancing their workplace performance so i think the bias is also you know from the recruitment process as well as thinking about how do we do on the job training how do we onboard someone such that they really are feeling they're, that they're supported integrated mentored trained properly so that they actually have a chance of really persisting in this great career opportunity i have to agree with erica on that i mean the the apprenticeship model calls for um, the the apprentice to have a mentor um, and but even if it's not a, a registered apprenticeship um, for a young person and Jordan, I bet you could ha have some thoughts on this. Um, a young person going into a new environment, they absolutely need to have um, somebody there, a, a peer of some sort or or mentor. Um, and there's lots of training out there because I don't think that um, manufacturers necessarily think about um, the facilitation of um, Somebody may be a great tool and die maker, super knowledgeable, but right. they're not necessarily a teacher. How do right. how do I transfer this knowledge from my brain into this young man who is 30 years younger than me? How do I communicate with that person? So it looking at all of those various factors is going to be critical to your employee's success. Especially if there's language barriers and all, there's so many ways in which things can get lost in translation with a perfectly willing, able, eager young person. And it could be perceived that, oh, they're just not a good fit. Um, I would also give a shout out to the National Institute for Metalworking Skills. They have a smart training solution that I think is actually really providing really useful technical assistance to companies on how to kind of enhance, improve on the job training to so that someone who comes from a program like like mine or Beth's, you know, are going into a company that is really set up to make best accommodation and, uh, you know, integrate this person as quickly and efficiently and, of course, profitably as possible for, for everyone's benefit. So one more thing to add there. You know, I, I think that a lot of people assume um, in the market that this sort of bias comes from people, you know, kind of carrying these these biases, or, or I should say this lack of diversity comes from people carrying these, these biases. But to be honest, I would say it has more to do with a lack of desire to train. And you just continuously want to still hire people who already have experience that are already in that you know, pool of candidates. So it really constricts who you can target for these jobs. So building candidates, um, you know, with an apprenticeship program lets you target a more diverse pool rather than just targeting, you know, the, the particular people who are already in the field. And I would even add to that, for those of us who are training providers, in terms of who we have as instructors, in outreach people, uh, uh, recruiters for our own teams. That's a huge, uh, can be a huge barrier or asset <laughs> depending. 
And so we're having to figure out how to train our own instructors, for example, because we it's more than just the technical knowledge uh, in terms of what makes a great instructor like Beth was talking about. We really need someone who can not only uh, transmit that technical knowledge, but who can relate on a cultural and also a pedagogical basis that really knows how to inspire learning, you know, because if this person is the first person that that this youth you're trying to engage is going to meet from the sector, you want to make sure you're making that strong impact first impression. So a lot of that happens at our at the level of our firm of our agency. So that's something we need to be actively thinking about. How do we diversify our 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 our, our instructional our instructional personnel um, and other personnel that are frontline staff with with the people we're trying the young people we're trying to engage. And uh, we oh, sorry, was someone would speak. Uh, we've already sort of touched on this uh, with some of your responses, but do you guys have any specific other strategies that you'd recommend for employers to avoid bias? I would say, um, you know, there's a lot of this, this term gets thrown out there a lot. And in my field of, you know, being a recruiter, I hear it almost daily. They want someone who's a culture fit. And that term is just so loosely thrown around these days that, um, you know, maybe it's okay that not everybody fits into your culture. Maybe it's okay to have somebody else that thinks a little bit differently than you do, or, you know, the majority of your company, or maybe doesn't want to, you know, uh, do something a certain way. They have a different perspective and can bring that to the table. So I think maybe just keeping an open mind is a really big piece um, today, especially in the younger community. Uh, I feel like a lot of times with companies, there's such a generational gap sometimes in the way of thinking when you take, you know, maybe some of the older employees in the workforce and compare them to someone, you know, fresh out of high school. So I think there's an opportunity there for a lot of uh, people in a hiring position. I would add to that, that I think um, you could be very intentional about where you go recruit, right? Um, grassroots recruitment. We, we piloted uh, an adult pre-apprenticeship program uh, a couple years back. And our goal was to recruit 15 people into this pre-apprenticeship program. And we partnered with um, an organization called the Cleveland Clergy Coalition. And it's a group of Baptist churches that uh, work together to really find workforce opportunities for their congregations that are in large part living in poverty. And um, they, the Cleveland clergy helped us recruit 12 out of the 15 participants for that program. So um, I think it, looking, looking for different ways to go find your talent and, and being open to uh, meeting people where they're at. Um, I would say another avenue uh, along those lines would be uh, looking for workforce development agencies that serve um, justice impacted individuals um, and being open to um, providing those people opportunities. And, you know, it, it's just so interesting that as a workforce person, I've been in workforce for many, many years, and the workforce shortage that manufacturers are going through right now was predicted many, many years ago. Um, and here we are. And I think COVID 
exacerbated the problem. Uh, they called it the silver tsunami. People were taking earlier retirements. They didn't want to be in the workforce anymore. Um, and now companies are really faced with what are we going to do because we don't have the talent to replace the folks that are leaving. So we're going to have to be in order to survive. We're going to have to be um, innovative and, and uh, look for for different ways to, to find this talent and, and introduce people to manufacturing. Beth, great, great minds think alike because we have a, a Ministers for Manufacturing Committee here in Chicago that we've nice. cultivated for exactly the same reason of saying, hey, these are our folks that are in the community. They are actively looking for ways, I mean, it's in their direct interest to have people in their congregations have good jobs <laughs> for all kinds of reasons. And so, um, and I would also just put out there to peer support, like, so we established to like what we call our Young Manufacturers Association. And that really, again, before we, before we even talk, training is one component, but the other component, especially for a young person entering the workforce is having that safe space with peers who are kind of going through similar either training or, or employment situations. They can just vent, like you need a place to where you can say, how do I deal with this really tough situation or, or to celebrate your wins and, and, you know, and really build a, a network of folks like, you know, like yourself who are doing similar things. So that's been another thing. And I think employers can absolutely support those types of activities. What a great idea, Erica. I love it. Long, Young Manufacturers Association. Hey, we would love to have YMA chapters across the country. So I would love to. to yeah, we're going to connect for sure. Great. I would, I, I just want to say like um, WLS Stamping and Fabricating, they, they hired three, uh, well, two of our pre-apprentices um, and put one of their incumbents into our pre-apprenticeship program. They have shown and demonstrated the commitment, their level of commitment to bringing these people on board um, from giving people loans against their paycheck to, you know, um, providing supports and understanding when barrier removal. There's just so many different factors that contribute. Um, you know, a person living in poverty is going to solve 10 problems before they even get to work in one day. And so it's helping them eliminate barriers is also another way to ensure success all the way around. Um, and then thank you uh, so much for that was some great conversation just now. Uh, sort of our last question, uh, Erica, you, both of you, both Erica and Beth, you've kind of touched on uh, that a lot of these people are kind of living in poverty. So have you seen technological barriers in the hiring process since maybe they don't have the best access to computers and the internet? Gosh, that's a whole separate webinar topic. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, from that's... my point of view, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Erica. No, as I say, it's a real knowledge barrier, frankly. That's the, the more sort of, the technology, that, I mean, for me, that's a really, the. The, the moment you have the awareness and the connection, the technology is a much solvable, easier thing to, to, to overcome. Whereas we're working with, we're, I would say 90% of the young people we're engaging in our programs barely know what manufacturing means, much less what the career path opportunities are about. So, so much of it is how do you get the word out and really you know, make more visible these career opportunities because most of the employers we're, we're working with they're they're hiding in plain sight these aren't places with big shiny signs 
you could walk right past your neighborhood and not know that they are using advanced technologies and this is a great place for careers. So I think, you know, for, from our point of view, just the opportunity to get the word out to really create tangible connections between these opportunities and 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 young people has been single-handedly the biggest barrier. And then once we get that spark, getting helping them figure out like how to get internet at home or a computer, that's that's much more achievable than just having them have the desire to say, yes, this is something I want to learn more about. Okay. Great. Well, thank you for that. And uh, that concludes today's production Pulse live stream. Thank you again to our fantastic guests today, Erica Staley from Manufacturing Renaissance in Chicago, Beth Dawson from Manufacturing Works Cleveland, Jordan Hooser from uh, uh, WLS Stamping, and Ryan Joseph from the Recruit Group. And thank you all for watching. Join us here in two weeks for our next installment of Production Pulse.